This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon, Craig. Good afternoon. How are you, mate? Very well, thanks. Let's start with the latest from the markets in what is certain to be a very busy next 24 hours. Where are we at the moment as far as Europe and how did Asia Pacific go overnight? So Europe's a bit flat and the US is shortly going to open as well and that's looking a little bit flat as well. So clearly we're in this period now before the Fed where... There's a little bit of apprehension, maybe sitting on the fence, waiting to see what happens. We've seen some choppy trade over the last couple of days, which is typical, I guess, in these situations. Asia's been a bit different. We've seen a lot of moves in China in particular. We've seen two very strong sessions. Obviously, that comes after a pretty terrible year as far as Chinese stocks are concerned for various reasons, be that tech stocks being hammered for one reason or another, or COVID restrictions or the property market. But they've been given a really big boost overnight. And this seems to have stemmed effectively from rumours on Twitter that we could be seeing the leadership meet to try and find ways to ease or soften COVID restrictions because of the economic toll that it's taking. There isn't really much substance to these so far. And in fact, there seems to have been some sort of denial, but they're certainly not being uh, verified uh, by any, any officials. And yet it's really got the markets moving. We saw... Chinese stocks rise about 5% yesterday. You can see the Shanghai Composite ended up more than 1% higher today. The Hang Seng more than 2%. So clearly the markets are leaping on it, but whether there's any actual substance to it, we may not have to wait too long to find out what it is. My gut suggests that perhaps these discussions are happening, but that doesn't mean we're going to actually see anything announced and anything that is announced. It's probably not going to be too far away from what is already in place. It would be a massive stretch to think that after two or three years now, of quite severe restrictions anytime we see cases jump like what we've seen around the Foxconn uh, factory right now or with Disneyland as well to move from that to something far less severe after this much time seems uh, quite a strange outcome I think it would be a much more gradual process so I feel like markets are reacting far too positively to what could be relatively minor news but of course that is a reflection on how far they've fallen prior to that. As you said, um, some uh, nervy hours uh, coming up for those watching uh, the announcement from the Federal Reserve, which is expected to make history yet again, approving a fourth straight rate hike of uh, three quarters of a percentage point. And it really is part of this aggressive battle to bring down uh, inflation that's certainly plaguing the US and global economy. It is going to be 75 basis points, isn't it? It is going to be 75 base points, or that seems to be the consensus, heavily backed by the markets. No one seems to be suggesting it's going to be anything else. So it seems fully baked in at this point. The question that many people have is, what's going to come with it? Is, is there going to be an indication in the statement that we're going to see them start to ease off the break in December, or is something Powell going to say uh, going to allude to that? That's what people are interested in. We've seen four consecutive 75 base point rate hikes now. That's, that's 3% of interest rate increases in a very short period of time. We know there's a lag when it comes to monetary policy, so it seems very aggressive to keep going at this pace uh, when you're yet to see the results of what you've already implemented and the the risk with that is and the fear with that is that you actually start to trigger a recession because you've been so aggressive in such a short period of time that you then have to dig the economy out of so that's the fear in the markets and that's why i think people are expecting they may start to ease off the break from december move to a 50 base point rate you could even do one or two of them as you wait and see the data filter through 
Of course, there may be people within the Fed who would argue, well, the economy's still running extremely hot. The labor market's extremely tight. The inflation indicators are, are running red hot as well. The economy still seems to be very strong, in fact. Of course, there are pockets of weakness. You can see the housing market's been suffering all year. We're seeing, for example, while the jolts job openings number did actually uh, rise more than expected uh, last month, the actual overall trend is declining. So there is clearly less hiring appetite uh, from within uh, companies, but we're not necessarily seeing that filter through into layoffs at this point. So that tightness is still in the labor market, but perhaps to a very, very slightly lesser uh, degree. And with all of this, it's easy to make the argument that this pace of tightening is warranted because otherwise they're not going to get a grip of inflation. It could become a much longer term issue. But it's such a fine balancing act when you are hiking so aggressively. That's what's on investors' mind right now. What is the Fed going to do next? Are they going to slow the pace of tightening in December? If so, are they going to signal anything here? Are they even going to slightly hint at something here? And we know how these markets can behave. If you get a small hint, markets can behave in a very significant way. And I think that's what people are looking out for. The problem is, Jerome Powell likes to keep his cards close to his chest. So the question becomes, is he actually going to say anything? Or is he just going to say the usual line of, we are data dependent and we'll see how that plays out and maybe disappoint the markets a little bit. And Craig, central banks are criticised right across the world for not raising rates early enough. And we could have the reverse now, where they've raised them too much at this stage and will create some sort of recessionary factor going forward. Well, this is why they were criticised for not raising rates enough earlier on. If they'd have been raising rates earlier, I mean, if you look at the Federal Reserve earlier this year, they addressed the fact that they knew they needed to start raising interest rates, but they wanted to abide by their forward guidance. And they were so hooked on this, they actually delayed the implementation of these rate hikes in order to fulfil their forward guidance, which is that interest rate hikes wouldn't start until some time after the end of uh, quantitative easing. So they could have actually started earlier, but they wanted to fulfil this forward guidance and they stood by that to the detriment of their own tightening cycle. If they'd started earlier, then maybe you could argue they wouldn't need to have been raised, raising interest rates by 75 basis points across four meetings and leave themselves in this difficult situation. The same is true of the Bank of England. The Bank of England started raising rates before most. They said they wanted to start raising rates in November. They started raising rates in December instead, and they got a lot of criticism for that because their communication was terrible. But then over the course of this year, while other central banks were speeding up the pace of their tightening, the Bank of England continued to do so at a very low and modest pace. Now, you could argue with the Bank of England, well, they acknowledged back in Q1 that the UK was heading for a recession long before any other central bank thought they were going to be. And therefore, they didn't. They, they, they thought that a recession would have a certain impact on the inflation outlook and on demand and on labour market slack and on slacker in general. Um, so they, they had that argument. Two, they had the uncertainty argument. I mean, from early part of the summer, we had a prime minister who was a lame duck. We had a leadership race that led to a new prime minister. We had a new prime minister outlay a new plan. That plan was abolished within three weeks. We then had a new prime minister sitting with a new plan. All of this uncertainty, you've got to, if you're at the Bank of England, you're asking the question, well, what were we meant to do? We didn't know what we were dealing with. We didn't know what the spending plans were. We didn't know what the tax plans were. We couldn't make accurate economic forecasts because no one could, because no one knew what was going on. All of this amidst all of the uncertainty, the energy problems, the cost of living crisis, there was a lot of uncertainty for a period about energy bills and what impact that was going to have on inflation and household bills. So from that perspective, you can argue that the Bank of England has an excuse. But what it means is that they, like many central banks now, are being forced to hike interest rates very aggressively because they were too slow to move to begin with. 
and now you have this period of uncertainty. When do you stop when there's a lag in monetary policy? When do you take your foot off the brakes and risk leaving inflation too high and have to slam back on again? Or do you keep going and then risk tipping the economy into recession and have to dig it out? Um, it, it's a very difficult thing, but this is what people were warning about earlier in the year when they were moving at such a gradual pace. And recessions are often led by a crash in property and housing markets, uh, Craig. You've already mentioned uh, the United States, which has seen uh, some uh, pressure there. And we've seen it here in the most recent figures. So again, the Bank of England is going to have to be careful that it doesn't push home buyers into negative equity going forward, because that is something which does lead to recessionary factors. Well, as with everything, that different countries are exposed in different ways. So, for example, I think it's around 90% of mortgages in the US are fixed term for 30 years. So people who own a house now are not going to be negatively impacted as a result of these higher interest rates, which is one reason why the Fed may have to do it more. The people who are going to be impacted are those who purchase new properties where you're getting a new mortgage rate, which is much higher. That's what's going to be deterred, but there's no force to do that. People don't have to do that. So you, you may see a massive slowdown in terms of new purchases, but that also therefore has a knock-on effect for things like uh, new building uh, of properties. Whereas here in the UK, you've got people on, on floating rate mortgages, you've got people on two-year fixes, five-year fixes, many of whom are going to be seeing their policies come up for renewal who are going to see much higher rates and therefore they're going to be hit in the pocket much sooner. And therefore, you, there's an argument that you could say that in the US could need to raise interest rates more because it's harder to have a more direct impact on spending habits and demand as opposed to what you're seeing, for example, here in the UK. And all countries are, of course, different uh, on that front. So, yes, there is an impact generally on the housing market, but the impact is going to be very different from one country to another. And as far as tomorrow's announcement from the Bank of England is concerned, it's going to be 75 basis points as well, is it? It looks that way. But again, we shouldn't be surprised if the bank takes a more conservative approach. I think it's going to be 75 and the markets think it's going to be 75. Are you saying it's, it could be 50 or um, a whole percentage point? I'd say more 50 than a whole percentage point. And the reason is many thought that by now we'd have the new financial statement from the government, uh, which was meant to be announced on Halloween and instead got pushed back two weeks uh, back to roughly when it was meant to be in, in the first place. The Bank of England would have gone into this meeting knowing what the UK's plans for taxes were and what the UK plan for spending was, what the economic prospects are, what the inflation prospects are based on the OBR forecast, based on their own forecast. Instead, they're going into this relatively blind. Sure, they'll have an idea from talks with the government what it is that they're planning to do, but they can't put together forecasts based on that. So now they're putting together forecasts based on basically very little. Uh, so they could potentially take the view that 50 basis points will be enough for now and then they can address it at the next meeting and thereafter uh, if need be but i feel they'll probably go for 75 it feels like a bit of a free pass as far as markets are concerned they've fully priced it in people are expecting it why not and i seem to remember there were some dissenting voices in the monetary policy committee during the last meeting which uh, suggested a, a lower hike so it, it, it's very possible it could just be a 50 basis points. So we'll have to keep an eye on that and the effect that it have on uh, the currency, on uh, sterling. 
Of course, but we've obviously had at least one, maybe more, new Prime Ministers since that last Bank of England meeting, so a lot's changed. Uh, but it will have an impact on the pound. I mean, the pound has remained extremely volatile. It's back around 115 now against the US dollar, so well off those lows. But it's not back by any stretch of the imagination. It's it's still at, at extremely low levels because there is still a huge amount of economic uncertainty, fiscal policy uncertainty, monetary policy uncertainty. When you think that earlier on this year, I'm looking back at January now the pound was trading at 137 and it's now trading at a really high level of 115 i mean that's still a pretty torrid year of course that is against the us dollar and everything's performed badly against the us dollar but still it does give you a sense of uh, how far it's fallen even if it has now bounced back from around 105 okay craig thanks very much for joining us today thank you this is the oanda podcast